Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. When you were young, did you play video games? Were you allowed to have a video game console in your home? Did you have the Nintendo 64 or the Sony PlayStation or the GameCube or... Let's reach back even further. An Atari? Did you play Pong? Moving forward a little bit, did you play NBA NBA Jam? GoldenEye? 1080 Snowboarding? Tony Hawk Pro Skater? I didn't. I wasn't allowed. Every video game I just rattled off to you was something that my friends enjoyed. Not me. I wasn't allowed. No, Bob and Darla Lonsberry did not allow... The Lonsbury household to be one where video games were present. I didn't grow up with them. I've never really understood them. I've always enjoyed playing them at friends' house. Even today, sometimes, if someone says, hey, you want to try this game? I'll try it, and I've enjoyed it. But it was always with a lid. I was always looking over my shoulder, convinced that my mom was peeking in. It was a taboo thing. I grew up with that attitude. I thought that it would rot my brain. It would make me slow and dull. I'd live in the basement forever. I'd grow a neck beard. I'd stay up late, making mean comments on the internet to strangers behind behind my anonymous little handle, my avatar. Well, turns out, according to Brigham Young University, a study that's been going on for years, the longest of its kind, turns out that for 90% of those adolescents who are big video game players, that as they transition into adulthood, that the consequences aren't so bad. Turns out they're okay being social creatures. Turns out they're plenty capable of providing a livelihood for themselves, keeping a roof over their head, keeping themselves fit, such like that. We'll get into the details of this study in a little bit. In fact, uh, coming up after the break, we're going to speak to uh, Dr. Sarah Coyne, who is a, a professor of family life at Brigham Young University, the lead author of this study. As I mentioned, this is a first of its kind. This is the longest span of time ever dedicated to this question, whether or not video games are harmful to the development of an adolescent's brain, and if there are dangerous side effects or if there are consequences that follow that adolescent brain as it transitions into adulthood. turns out there's not too much reason to worry, and maybe Bob and Darla Lonsbury were a little over-anxious. Let's go back in time a little ways, all the way back to 1982. This is before uh, yours truly was born, but the debate was waging even in that year. This, from CBS News, summarizes some of the fears that were held by some regarding video game play. City officials today announced that video games no longer will be licensed in residential areas, only in commercial and industrial neighborhoods. Officials say they are responding to complaints from parents that children have skipped school or stolen money to play the games and made a nuisance of themselves. <laughs> and made a nuisance of themselves. Uh, not long after that, Atari had this to respond. Discover a world beyond your wildest dreams. Discover Atari. Pioneers in coin video. 
video games like Centipede, Tempest, and the asteroids that challenge you, excite you, test you like never before. Discover Atari. Atari! Nintendo hit the scene in the mid-80s. Will you be the one to witness the birth of the incredible Nintendo Entertainment System? The one to play with Rob, the extraordinary video robot, batteries not included. He helps you tackle even the toughest challenge. Will you be the first to raise the incredibly accurate Zapper and play games like Duck Hunt or action-packed Hogan's Alley and high-flying Kung Fu, each sold separately? Will you be the one to experience the Nintendo Entertainment System? Comes with Rob, Zapper, Control Deck, two controllers, Gyromite, and Duck Hunt. All right, now, as I mentioned, this debate has been waging for a while. This one uh, from 1988 is some coverage on ABC's 2020 about the popularity of these consoles and the effect that they may have on children. It may be the most addictive toy in history, and it's definitely the hottest thing this Christmas. Nintendo video games. They first arrived from Japan uh, three years ago, and now millions of American kids are hooked and mesmerized. When they do stop to talk, it's in a language only they understand. My thanks to the uh, the producers here on this program for putting this audio together, reaching back in time and hearing these nostalgic clips from broadcasters and advertisers from way back when. It's a trip. Now let's reach back one final time to the early 90s when concerns shifted to the violence depicted in video games and whether it was causing kids to become more prone to physical violence. There were celebrities and organizations calling uh, for Congress to do something about it. Uh, and one congressman decided to take up the challenge. That was Senator Joseph Lieberman. Here is the senator in 1990. Television's Captain Kangaroo says parents are not paying enough attention. Understand that these are not harmless toys, that uh, they can indeed uh, cause great emotional and uh, other damage to a child. Congress will be asked to establish a rating system to protect children from gruesome games. We now require warning labels on toys that can potentially damage children's bodies. Why not do so on a toy that can damage their minds? That last voice there you heard was that of Democratic Senator Joe Lieberman, Democrat at the time. And in 92 and 93, the senator, along with a colleague of his from Wisconsin, led hearings on video game violence and the corruption of society. Facing some oversight, potential oversight by Congress, these video game manufacturers established the Independent Entertainment Software Rating Board, ESRB, uh, was started. And politicians, psychologists, and parents and other groups have continued to debate the potential harm of these video games over the years. In the next segment, we're going to be speaking with BYU professor Sarah Coyne. She's going to join us to share the conclusion of a six-year study on the impact of video games on individuals. The video games have come a long way. The way we live our lives is far different than it was in the early 80s and early 90s. Uh, and we are going to find out from the person who has done the homework to find out exactly what that impact is next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, 
we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live, Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, episode 107 today. We've been talking about video games. When I was young, my parents outlawed them in the house. I wasn't allowed to play Atari or Nintendo or GameCube or Game Box, and that put me on a path to where I am today, and I don't have one of those uh, switches or twitches or whatever you call it in the living room. I don't get to guild up with my friends and uh, squat up and do whatever uh, the cool video game kids do right now as they're all locked at home due to this coronavirus. But there has been a lingering question forever, at least in my mind. Were my parents right? If I had been playing video games when I was young, would I have been able to live the life I have lived? You know, I've enjoyed a little bit of success in life so far. Uh, I'm a relatively social creature. I think I have healthy social habits, and uh, I can focus on tasks. And the fears that were put in my mind always were that if I were to play video games, I wouldn't be able to accomplish that. I wouldn't be able to focus on reading. I wouldn't be able to interact with friends or coworkers or colleagues. I certainly wouldn't know how to talk to girls once that day came in my life. And I'd develop all kinds of bad habits that would likely lead me to growing a neck beard and living in my mother's basement. Somehow I have avoided that, and I have, for most of my life, attributed it to a dearth of video game play in my youth. Well, a study from Brigham Young University says that maybe, maybe, just maybe, my parents were not so right after all, and if I had picked up a, a game controller, I would have been all right. Uh, joining me on the program is the lead author of that study, Sarah Coyne, a professor of family life at Brigham Young University. Dr. Coyne, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the program. All right, let me ask you this. This study lasted six years. Let's go back in time six years and a day when you're deciding uh, where to focus your energies for the next over half a decade. Uh, What led you to this question? Why did you ask it? Why have you poured so many resources into finding its answer? Yeah, it's a a great question. So I'm very interested in the impact of media in general on child development and family life. This one in particular has a personal, um, meaningful story. So I have a sibling who I feel uh, is addicted to video games, who has had a pretty difficult life because of reliance on video games. And when I started the study a number of years ago, there wasn't a ton of research on the topic, and I've kind of seen it explode since then. And so, you know, I'm interested in media from a professional standpoint, but then I also have this personal lens as well. And very basically, what were the questions you asked as you sought out to execute this study? major question is what are the long-term impacts of having a video game addiction? You know, is kind of video game addiction a real thing? Um, How many people end up having it who are playing video games, you know, and are there long-term negative outcomes of having a a pretty pathological relationship with video games over the course of adolescence? 
And so you set out on this six-year quest to, to get the question answered. What took place during those six years? How was the study executed? Yeah, so the study involved uh, 385 adolescents from the Seattle area, and we just um, gave them questionnaires and their parents' questionnaires once a year over the course of six years. And we asked a variety of different things, so uh, video game addiction questions. And, and what those are specifically is, you know, tell me about your relationship with video games. Uh, can you think about other things besides video games, or are you really fixated on, on games? Uh, do you have a lot of conflict with your friends and families over games? Um, do you need to play more and more games to kind of get the same level of excitement? If you stop playing video games, you know, do you experience withdrawal symptoms? So very much like a, an addiction to like a substance would be. And then we asked all sorts of questions about mental health and behavioral outcomes, uh, and then even financial vocational outcomes at some of the later waves. Fascinating. What did you discover? So, I mean, the good news, and I guess for your, for people who play video games, is that <laughs> 90% of the sample, 90% of people who played video games, um, did not show any signs of video game addiction. So they can develop a really healthy relationship. <laughs> Let me jump in here. Games, right? you have, you've, you've, given, you've given a free pass to how many countless kids who are locked up right now uh, dealing with this coronavirus lockdown to now jam-pack their days with video game play. And they're going to say, uh, yeah, well, the smart folks at Brigham Young University said it was okay, my leak get off my back. Yeah, that's true, right? <laughs> But caveat, right? So sure. most kids are great and can video games can just be a form of entertainment um, and don't lead to these negative levels. But, right, here's the caveat. So 10% of the samples show kind of high uh, pathological levels over the course of six years. And these kids showed pretty negative outcomes at the end of the study. So they, there were higher levels of depression, higher levels of anxiety, more aggression, um, and there were no differences between kids at the beginning of the study in terms of any of those variables, right? And so kind of six years of this over-reliance, you know, pathological relationship with video games um, was then associated with developing these negative outcomes over time. Your questionnaires, they measured depression, anxiety, aggression, delinquency, empathy, pro-social behavior, shyness, sensory reactivity, financial stress. And this last uh, element it looked at was problematic cell phone use. W what is problematic cell phone use and how did it manifest itself in this 10% pool? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So we added that towards the end of data collection because we didn't really know what it was at the beginning. Sure. It wasn't a thing, but... It's kind of like cell phone addiction, right? And so it's the idea that I have this pathological relationship with my cell phone. So I'm constantly checking it. If I'm not checking about it, I'm, I'm thinking about the next time I can be on it and so on. So what we found is that those who are pathological users of video games towards the end of the study are also pathological users of their cell phones. They're more likely to be anyway. And you can play a lot of games on your cell phone. Mm -hmm. And so there's likely a large overlap there. Right, but there seems to be some sort of like a, perhaps maybe an addictive personality there mm -hmm. in terms of media where there's some, some good overlap there. My takeaway thus far is that 9 out of 10 kids are going to turn out just fine, but the consequences of that 10th kid are pretty dire. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm willing to, to play those odds. Uh, unless you can tell me this, did you discover any benefits uh, of the video gaming amongst that 90% pool? Sure, yeah, yeah. So, um what we found is that the 90%, well, who, who 
are basically fine over the course of adolescence. They're doing a lot better than that other group. And then other research has shown some profound benefits to playing video games. And I see some real benefits, especially right now, right? So when we've taken away almost all social interaction for kids, uh, there's a lot of research showing that video games can help adolescents connect. And they're vitally important for that, for friendship formation and maintenance. Um, And I've noticed that a lot in my own child. So my 15-year-old loves video games, I guess much to my chagrin. (laughs) Studies this, right? Um, he loves video games, and um, I really am enjoying hearing him getting on Fortnite every mm. night and hanging out with his friends. Cool. And before that used to kind of make me annoyed. I'm like, uh, you yeah. know, why isn't he doing something else or whatever during that time? And and right now it's just so important. And as I've talked to him about it, he says, you know, that's a really important way for me to connect with my friends, for us to bond and so on, right? And yeah. obviously, you can do that in a lot of different ways, sure. right? But for many adolescents, this is a really good way for them to do that, Dr. Coyne, right now. Th- thank you for your research. Thank you for enlightening me. Thank you for uh, letting me know that it might be okay to pick up a controller from time to time. Uh, wish you the best of luck as you continue to endure this coronavirus and send our best to your son. Thank you so much. Quick break. When we come back, we're talking about members of Congress and where they sleep. Yeah, that's right. Next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is KSL News Radio.